Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the GM Shuffle. Do you know where Philly's next loss is coming from? I don't. It's not certainly coming this week against the Texans. I can tell you that. I, I can report that they're 13 point favorites. In that How is it under 14? You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and Visa. And I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. Michael, it's a holiday. Happy Halloween, buddy. Are you going trick-or-treating later this evening? Uh, I'm going to be out there. Femi, I got a rule. No, you got to give out big candy. I don't want that little shit. I don't want those three milk dugs in a little thing. Like We're not doing that crap. Like, you know, as a fat kid, I went to the houses that gave out candy, the big candy twice. I, and the, I can remember a guy saying, didn't you come here before? I said, yeah, but you got good candy. You know, I'm going to hit that hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know what cracks me up, Femi, is these kids, that, the, the, you know, I mean, I don't want to give the, when I was growing up speech, but mm-hmm. like we, I mean, you made your own costume. All the kids in my neighborhood, we made our own, the North Street gang, we made our own, own costumes. <laughs> like these guys, they have these incredible costumes today. It's pretty, I mean. Barbershop, there's no chance Barbershop was spending $5 on a costume for my fat ass. There's no way he was doing that. Like, that's a haircut. That's a haircut. So, uh, no way. No, that's it's awesome. Uh, king size candy bars only for the folks who are listening out there and handing out yeah, you candy come, you to come the kids. By my, you come by my house. You're gonna, you're gonna, well, you you come heavy or don't come at all, as Uncle Junior says. Exactly. You come by, yeah, exactly. I, I love, I love it though. You know, I, I love when I could see the costumes and hand out the candy and see mm-hmm. the, the 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 thing that makes it so good are the little girls, the little girls that come by and the little costumes mm-hmm. are so sweet. You know, I, I can't wait for. You know, our fifth granddaughter, uh, Sienna, she's going to turn one next month or mm-hmm. in another in December. I can't wait when she can come around because she'll look, she'll look so good in those costumes. It'll be. She was a. Uh, let's see, what was she? Oh, she was the chef. Her two brothers were the lobster. So that's about right. <laughs> nice. Well, we can't wait for that. And a happy Halloween to all of those who will be celebrating later on this evening. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. You can tweet at the show at M Lombardi NFLs, where you can find Michael. At Femi Abebefe is where you can find me. Our producer today is Elliot Bowman, filling in once again for Stephen Bond. We believe Bond will be back on Thursday uh, as long as he gets his travel stuff all in order and what's going on over there. So uh, Bond will be back coming up this Thursday. But, Michael, let's get into some of these games. And speaking of Bond, his team, the Buffalo Bills last night, flexing their muscles once again in primetime over the Green Bay Packers, 27-17. to They're coming out of the bye week, and they just continue to dominate as we saw last night. 
You know, I, I read your tweet about, you know, you got to take Aaron Rodgers and the points. And, yep. and I agree. And I gave it out as one of my recommendations, too. But I, I think it was one of those where you said, oh, Jesus, I got really lucky. <laughs> yes. Because when you really break down these 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 games, it really comes down to the fourth quarter of whether you're going to win your bet or you're going to lose your bet. I mean, obviously, if you took the Saints, you won your bet in the first quarter. But, I mean, if you took some other – I mean – but the fourth quarter determines it. And the reason, the only reason that the people who recommended Green Bay, including me and you, covered is because in the fourth quarter, the Bills had 21 plays. They got five first downs, and he threw two picks. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, and that's the reason. And they still win by 10. Think about that. Everybody's walking around here, except for Big Daddy. Everybody's walking around here extolling the virtues of the, the Packers and being close and all that, you know, well, I mean, they were, but I mean, Buffalo played three quarters and still beat you by 10. I mean, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, so, but I do feel like that LaFleur has found at least that game gave him evidence of what he should have been doing all along. Like if I'm Matt LaFleur on the flight home from Buffalo tonight, I'm saying, I'm telling uh, Gutekiss, the general manager, we need a, another tight end. We need a blocking tight end. Like, forget about all these. Forget about the crap about we're going to get run Devontae out. We're going to go into a two-back offense with a tight end and a back, a, a fullback and a back. Whatever we're going to do, we're going to run the ball. We're going to slow the game down. We're going to play action, pass it, and we're going to try to win the game that way because that's the only chance we have to win the game. I think that's the one thing that you had to learn last night is this team can mm-hmm. – the two best players are Dylan and Jones. But we knew this going into the season, but it took LaFleur eight games to figure it out. And we just got to give them the ball. No, I think that – I totally agree with the, with the run game. 31 carries yesterday for the Packers, 208 rushing yards, so 6.7 yards per carry. And they were doing it down double digits, like you mentioned, in the second half, still going to that ground game until it got to the point it's like, all right, got to have to throw when you're down by a 10 – or what have you, but for much of that game, they were just leaning on that ground game, and I thought they really found something there. Um, do you think that the Packers showed signs of life? Like, Because I, I know a lot of people want to bury them since they're at 3-5, and five, but do you think they showed signs of life last night? I think they showed signs of what it's what, how they have to play. Right. What I said after week three is you have to figure out how to have to play. It, it's taken LaFleur eight week, into eight games to figure this out. Now, they're slower. still bad in the kicking game, right? They're still bad. I mm-hmm. mean, I mean, they're horrendous in the kicking game still. And it's not Rich Bisacci's fault. It's just it's the fault of a lot of these coaches who grow up in the West Coast scheme. All they want are clean exchanges. They don't even understand how to give practice time, dedicated time to the kicking game. So they're always bad in the kicking game. But, you know, I mean, where they were excelled yesterday was they, they held Buffalo to 2-7 of seven on third down. I mean, they encouraged Buffalo to run the ball. And when you do that, you got a chance to keep the score down. Right. If if I said to you Buffalo was going to score twenty seven, you probably think okay, a I'm 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 Green Bay's definitely covering, and it's mm-hmm. going to be a really good game. And so I thought they at least played that. But if you play the way they played, if you play the way they play offensively, and this is where I think and we'll get to him later. But I think this is where Vrabel's lapped the field in terms of how to play each game differently. How and, and but the similar to the way his strengths of his team. But if they continue to go down this road and play this way and they can have the ball for 33 minutes and keep their defense off the field, they have a chance to catch up here. 
How was Big Daddy uh, handling last night's affairs? Because I'm sure he went he to expect- bed at halftime. He gave up on it at halftime. <laughs> Normally, Big Daddy's a huge Hogan's Heroes fan on on MeTV from 10 to 11. Loves Hogan's yep. Heroes. Okay, loves it. All right, loves Sergeant Short. Loves it. Yeah, he's a big, big. You know, but he fed up with it. Long weekend. You know, he had to work today. Uh, you know, I mean, he's just he and he's been screaming. He's been screaming. In fairness to Big Daddy, via text. We have to run the ball. We should be a running team, mm-hmm. not a passing team. We don't have any receivers. Now, how Big Daddy, who makes his living with a hammer, knows this and LaFleur does it, I don't know. That could be a whole documentary. I don't understand it. But he was not happy. I mean, he was he was shocked it was only 10 points at the end of the day. He thought it was mm-hmm. going to be a three-touchdown route. And, and, frankly, and frankly, I think the people at Beck Green Bay, we got lucky. We did get a little lucky. Now, the Rodgers also had an interception that was tipped in the air. So there, there was a little bit of luck going on both sides. But I think we were fortunate to get inside the number there with the Packers. But that's what happens when you're a double-digit underdog. You get a lot yeah, of chances right. to cover. So that was that's one. Right. That's right. There is. I mean, there's no doubt. And in a team like Buffalo, which which you would think they, they're they going to always be a good covering team because Buffalo never takes the foot off the gas, right? Mm-hmm. And and they're always still trying to run the football. They're still making plays even when he's got the ball in his hands. I mean, you know, when he's running with it. I mean, look, you know, what did he have? Six carries for fifty yards last night. I mean, he's just he's so hard to defend. He didn't, and he didn't even play well last yeah, he night. Didn't play, yeah. I didn't think he played well. No, I, I I totally agree that the two interceptions that Josh Allen had, uh, it, it wasn't his best game, at least to his standards that we've seen so far this season. But the Bills, they improved to six and one nonetheless there this season, and once again they look like the best team in football. But Michael, the team that has the best record in football is Fly Eagles. Fly the Philadelphia Eagles. They go ahead and beat the Pittsburgh Steelers 35-13. to They went ahead and covered as double-digit favorites in that game. Uh, Easily. 7.6 7. yards per play from the Eagles here as they're now 7-0. and And, man, this Eagles train, it looks, it looks like it's a locomotive with no sl- sign of slowing down here. Well, I, I think we have to really, like, look, I know, I mean, A.J. Brown was sensational yesterday. Oh, Three goodness. catches. Hurts made some unbelievable throws. But I think the key to this game was the fact that the Eagles' defense is for real. I mean, they held Pittsburgh to one for 12 on third down, right? And, you know, they were able to put pressure on the quarterback, and they really they mixed up the whole rhythm of the game. And when you go over the drive chart and you see it, right, you know, the Pittsburgh got a 13-play drive in the first quarter to score, you know, but then in the second quarter where they had to kind of make their way because Philly's so good, Philly scored 14 points in the second quarter, they had two. They had two three play and out drives, and one you gave the ball back to them, and then you go twelve plays. Like Pittsburgh could never get control of the game, and because of that, they could never really. And they didn't cover because their fourth quarter looks like fumble, punt, interception. Okay, mm-hmm. their fourth quarter's fumble, punt, interception. Meanwhile, Phillies is is touchdown, punt, end of game, and that's why they cover. So look, I, I think it's good. I don't know where Phillies. Do you know where Phillies' next loss is coming from? I don't. It's not certainly coming this week against the Texans. I can tell you that. No, I, I can report that they're thirteen point favorites in that How game. How is it under fourteen? How is that under fourteen? I mean, the Texans lost <laughs> to to Malik Willis. I mean, we'll get to it, but they ran the ball forty five times in the. How did they at home? You lost to and 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 when and when Tennessee came to the stadium. You must, they should have just given Houston their playbook and said, here's all our plays because this is what we're going to run. And you, they knew it, and they still did it. So there's no way Houston's beating Philly. There's no, there's no yeah. chance. Yeah, there's no way. It'd have to be some sort of uh, 
act of God or something like that to get give the Texans a chance to win that game. But back to what we saw yesterday afternoon, Michael Hurts career high four touchdown passes, all of them twenty five plus yards. Is Hurts checking enough boxes for you to consider the Eagles as a legitimate Super Bowl caliber team? Like, do we put the Eagles on par with the Buffalo Bills based on what we've seen from Jalen Hurts this year? Well, I think when the game, when he has to throw it, if he got behind and he has to throw it, we're still not there yet. But, I mean, all the throws he made in the game are not really read throws. I'm throwing it on the outside. And I think he did a great job with it. Look, he only had nine incomplete passes in the game. You know, and look, this Eagle team, they only ran the ball 20 times. That's not typically what the Eagles do. And Hurts only carried it two times, which is not typical of what he does. So to me, this was a little bit of a of an outlier game for them, and they executed it really well. They really did. And, and they had no answer for A.J. Brown. I mean, A.J. Brown, you know, averaged 26 yards a catch. <laughs> he was dominant in the game. And, you know, I, I think to me – when they play from in front like they do, Hertz is going to always be a, a factor because of the threat of the run, because of the six-back offense, and their ability to play defense. It's getting kind of lost in the shuffle a little bit, but their defense is really the biggest difference in their team this year than last year. Yeah, the Eagles have been really good on defense. They went ahead and had six sacks in this game. So this team has been just terrific in what they're doing. And I don't see how this thing slows down. You mentioned that their schedule. But on the Pittsburgh side here, Michael, what did you make of Kenny Pickett yesterday? Because Pickett, 25 of 38, 191 yards and interception. We haven't talked a ton about Pickett, but just now that we have a handful of starts here uh, under his belt, what did you make of Pickett so far this season and including yesterday? I think he's in a tough spot. They can't really run the ball. Their offensive line isn't great, right? So that's a problem. I mean, yeah, you say, well, they ran, you know, for six yards of carry yesterday, but Pickett had 37 of them, him scrambling around. You know, I I think this is a team that's truly in a rebuilding phase with a young quarterback. I mean, I don't know what else to say. I think they'll they'll surprise some people. They can't really rush the passer like they used to. You know, they need T.J. Watt back out there. Their offensive line is not as good as it once was, and it's kind of coming around, and Nigel Harris can't get going. I mean, the way they've got to play is mistake-free. They got to be able to play from in front with mistake free and take advantage of certain situations in the game. They got to win it with their kicking game and, and keep the score close. But that's not when you're playing these offenses, these six back offenses like this. It's going to be always hard for Pittsburgh. I mean, Pittsburgh. I mean, think about this. And I'm pissed off at myself for not recommending Philly because when when Pittsburgh played Buffalo, they got blown out. Mm-hmm. Right when Pittsburgh played Philadelphia, they got blown out. And those two are the best six-back offenses in football. And what it tells you is Pittsburgh isn't fast enough on defense. I think the one thing that people have lost sight of is, because it's happened so long ago, is the Pittsburgh's defense losing Shazier. Shazier. Yeah. Yep. You know, they they lost that inside runner, that guy that could go tackle to tackle and make all those plays. They don't have that. It's not Bush. It hasn't been Miles yeah. Jack. They don't have that. And when you don't have that, and you play these six-back offenses, you you know, and this is why Pitt, New England can't play them. This is what makes New England strong. you got to have a Mike linebacker that can really run, and they don't have that. And so, like, the matchup really wasn't – that number could have been even higher than it ended up closing because the matchup didn't favor Pittsburgh. Devin Bush really hasn't been that guy. They drafted him in the first round, and uh, yeah. it hasn't worked out for them. But I think that's a great point that you make up the absence of Ryan Shazier, who was a terrific linebacker while he was with the Steelers. That definitely has left a void in that defense. Michael, let's go up to the Pacific Northwest where, buddy, 
I'm from Seattle. I'm not a Seahawks fan, but I, I know a lot of Seahawks fans, and they are buzzing with this team. They improved to 5-3 and three yesterday after snapping the Giants' four-game win streak, beating them 27-13. to 13. Geno Smith, once again, made the necessary plays. He wasn't as good as he's been this season, but I thought he made the necessary plays when he had to. But this Seahawks team is rolling, and Pete Carroll's saying a little, I told you so, about the roster that he has here. Well, I mean, look, they, they they did it. They created turnovers. I mean, the kid the kid dropped two punts, right? I mean, that's the yeah. killer in the game. And but I mean, they really did a great job on the the Giants taking away what they want to do. Let's 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 stop all the let's stop all the nonsense. Pete Carroll is a really good coach, and Pete Carroll's proven everybody he knows what the hell he's doing. You can argue with Pete Carroll whether he should challenge it, whether he shouldn't. But this defense, the last three weeks, has gotten a lot better. Mm-hmm. has made huge strides from when they played Atlanta and lost at home. And I think the fans of Seattle, your hometown crew, they recognize this team. They've had a really good draft. There are a lot of young players on this team, and they're starting to come together, and they're starting to buy in. And that was a game that they didn't play their A game, but they made sure the Giants didn't play their A game either. And they were able to dominate it. I mean, they forced three fumbles. They got two of them. They didn't turn the ball over other than they had a fumble. They gave the Giants, really, the Giants got 14 points, but Lockett gave them the, the ball on the yeah. two-yard line with his fumble. So, I mean, I think Pete Carroll's got he's got to be up for coach of the year. I mean, it's really done a remarkable job. It's a remarkable performance by him, John Schneider, of keeping this team together. I mean, I think they probably thought Locke might be the quarterback, but Smith's good. I mean, they're playing with two rookie tackles. Yeah. I mean, think about this. I mean, it's they're crazy. doing it with a lot of young players. It's crazy. They start to get more seasoning. All of a sudden, you're like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, and they won yesterday. I mean, the Giants do what the Giants do. The Giants held them for three for 13 on third down, and they still won. I, I think it was one of those games that we saw because the Giants in this win streak have been going up against some teams that are not really well coached. And they kind of met their match from a coaching staff standpoint yeah. there. And and they, they weren't able to make that difference like Dayball has been able to do. Credit to Dayball and getting that team to 6-2 and two at this point. But the Seahawks are also a really well-coached team. And you mentioned Seattle's young talent. It is just out of control. I was thinking about it last night. I said the Seahawks, they might have the coach of the year in Pete Carroll, the comeback player of the year in Geno Smith, and then the offensive rookie of the year in Kenneth Walker. And then I know a lot of people love Sauce Gardner, and I love Sauce Gardner's game. He's terrific. But what Tariq Woolen is doing out there at corner for Seattle, he would be my defensive rookie of the year, leading the league in interceptions. It's crazy what they've been able to do in just one offseason to kind of turn this whole thing around. Yeah, and look, you know, he made a change to his defensive staff. He's got that going now. They're playing much better. I mean, look, the Giants have won games. They've always been able to win the games so far this season with their six wins. They won them in the fourth quarter. Yesterday, they had 30 plays in the fourth quarter, Femi. 30 plays. They got six, six first downs and they got three points. Meanwhile, Seattle, they had 16 plays, 14 points, and seven first downs. So they beat them at their own game. They beat them at their own game, you know, and so th- and that's what happened. I mean, the Giants averaged 3.5 yards per play in the game. Think about that. That's crazy. I mean, 3, 3.5 yards per play. I mean, they shut them down. And this is a defense that it that looked like they could force no one to punt early in the season. Mm-hmm. And they did. I mean, so credit the coaches and credit the this – is, this is really what you want to see from your team is improvement. And, and that's what you want to see from your head coaches. How is the team getting better? Are they getting better? And they really are. After the game, Geno Smith was asked about if it felt good to beat the New York Giants since he used to be a member of the New York Giants. And he said there was no kind of ill will or anything like that, no 
um, negative feelings toward that organization. But he did go out of his way to say, quote, this game was for Ben McAdoo and Jerry Reese, referencing that they believed in him. What did you make of Geno's comments after the game? I, I think that I, I, what I made of him is, is I think that those guys from that past regime probably knew that Geno had more of a future than Eli did. And the, and the, and they got caught and and Gino got caught up in in the Eli, uh, the Eli I don't want to call it controversy, but the Eli can still play yeah. notion that was permeating through the Giants, you know. So he never really got a chance. I think there's a lot of times where players come into organizations where they really don't have a chance because there is that there is that bias of about another player that never gets let go. Right. And so you can't really, I mean, if somebody went to Chicago and tried to challenge Justin Fields for the start, not, not these guys aren't there. They didn't draft them, but, but typically the bias is already in the, 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 you know, the sunk cost bias, we've mm -hmm. got them. We've got to keep going with it. And I think that's how I interpreted it. That, that McAdoo and Reese kind of knew that Eli was done mm -hmm. and, and they probably were being very sympathetic to, to Gino because they understood it. But he couldn't get enough support organizationally. I thought McAdoo was fired just because he benched Eli and and, and did I, that. I, I I think a lot of that. I think look. I think that there was. I think you know it's funny. I think certain times in in organizations' lives they don't want to hear the truth. We yep. wrote about this for the Daily Coach today. You know, Green Bay doesn't want to hear the truth, right? They don't want to hear. The, you know, you got to hold players accountable. I think the Giants have spent until this season has spent a lot of time not really wanting to hear the truth. They wanted to hear the story that they're telling themselves, and that that narrative is Eli. You know, I don't know how they can defend Daniel Jones, even though they've yeah. won six games. Like, like really? He's not. Like, good. are you really going to tell me that you're that's no nobody that knows football is going to buy that Daniel Jones is a Super Bowl winning caliber quarterback? Now, do we throw him to the curb? No. Do we do we replace them if we can? If we can. Like we're going to replace them, but we, right now we don't have anybody to replace them with. Mm -hmm. Which is why I tip my cap to what Brian Dable and that staff is doing. Daniel Jones, he's not the answer. We all know that. They knew that when they declined the fifth-year option, but they're making do with what they have, and what they have is a 6-2 and two football team. Regardless of what I might think about them and what you might think about them, the record is 6-2 and two at the bye week, Michael. Uh, let's keep it moving in the NFC West. The 49ers, in a rematch of last year's NFC Championship game, they suffocated the Rams in the second half, winning the game 31-14. to 14. The Niners have now won eight straight in the regular season against the Rams, dating back to 2018. Shanahan versus McVay has just been a mismatch for quite some time, and we saw it once again here uh, in week number eight. It's 14-10 at the half. And, I, I mean, I had the red zone on, so I was listening to the, the, the broadcast was coming through, and they were talking about how the Rams were getting back to being excited, and McVay had to show more emotion, <laughs> and yada, yada, yada. You know, they averaged four yards of play. They averaged four yards of play in the game. I mean, they had a 14-10 to 10 lead. They had two drives in the game, basically. They had nine total drives in the game. They had five punts, and four of them all came in the second half. I mean, there's no adjustment to make. Once, once San Francisco figured it out, that offensive line can't block. I mean, let's face it, Femi, the Rams are not very good. Yeah. You know, and the 49ers, I mean, we just got a little glimpse of what they're going to be like with McCaffrey when they get Debo back. How oh more How more effective will they be? Oh, my goodness. It's going to be really good. McCaffrey yesterday, first player to have a passing, rushing, and receiving TD in a game since LaDainian Tomlinson did it back in 2005. Like you said, it's a glimpse. 
this thing is going to be really, really scary three, four weeks from now when they get everybody healthy, especially once that defense gets healthy. This Niners team is really coming down the track here. I know we talked about the Seahawks and how they're leading in first place and all that, but the Niners are still the class of that division. Yeah, I mean, and they're and they're and the NFC so bad they're going to get in. They may, you know, they 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 could easily win the West. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure they're going to they'll have a home playoff game if they win the West. They're going to have to come to Philly. There's no doubt, but they have a kind of team that could play Philly. You know, especially if they're healthy. And they have a lot of weapons offensively. I mean, yesterday in the fourth quarter, they had they ran 14 plays in the fourth quarter. They got six first downs, and they scored 14 points, put the game away. Meanwhile, the Rams run 14 plays in the fourth quarter. They get two first downs. I mean, the longer the game went, the less effective the Rams became because why? The game plan kind of wore out. Once they adjusted to what McVay wanted to do, there was no more. And this Ram team, I mean, he's going to coach the shit out of them and they're going to do everything, mm-hmm. but they can't make an explosive play, Femi. They got no explosiveness in their offense. I mean, what do I have here? They had, okay, so they, the 49ers had seven explosive plays in the game. Seven. 56, 34, 26, 25. The Rams had three. You know what their explosive plays were? 23 yards, 23 yards, 20. They can't make wow. you If you don't make an explosive play, if you don't get a chunk play in a drive, you're not going to score. So that's why you average four yards a play. It's uh, it's not looking good for the defending world champions. They're now three and four. And I'm sure on Thursday and later on we'll talk about this team and if they can get things corrected. But right now it doesn't look good. I, I don't see it. I mean, we don't have to wait. I mean, do you see it? I don't like, see I, it. I think, I think they, you know, they shouldn't have beaten Carolina. If P.J. Walker would have played in that Carolina game the way he's played the last two weeks for Carolina, the Carolina's going to win that game. It's just that mm-hmm. they didn't really let P.J. Walker play in the game. They were nervous about him starting. Now, all of a sudden, he looks like a decent player, you know, especially what he did yesterday. So, like, I, I, I mean, they look closer to the Panthers than they do to the 49ers, the Rams, I mean. Yeah, which is not good if you're the L.A. Rams. Niners now 4-4. Four and four. But, Michael, let's take our first break. On the other side, I want to ask you about these class of 2021 quarterbacks, the second-year QBs. Because I'm seeing some concerning things from all of them across the board. We'll discuss it here on the GM Shuffle. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second round playoffs have been unreal and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you gotta check this out. New customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets Instantly, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, Michael, I want to get into these class of 2021 quarterbacks and the games that we saw yesterday, starting 
with the Patriots and the Jets. Mac Jones, Zach Wilson. New England goes ahead and gets the 22-17 victory. It was ugly, but it was a big win for them in this AFC wildcard race. But uh, what were your thoughts watching these two second-year QBs going back and forth in the Meadowlands? Well, I mean, first, congratulations to Coach Belichick for yes. beating George, for getting uh, uh, ahead of George Hallis. But, I, I mean, I'm sure when he watches the tape this morning, this might be one of his ugliest losses in those 326 wins that he has. I mean, he averaged 3-8 per play offensively. Uh, they, they, had, they scored six points in this game, Femi, without getting a first down. They kicked two field goals and never got a first down. It, that just shows you the, what, what was going on, on the other side of football. Yeah. You know, so, you know, to me, they, they played well enough to win. They took advantage of the situation. And the Jets, you know, moved the ball, averaged six yards per play. But what the Jets did was the Jets turned the ball over. They had to let Zach Wilson participate in the game, and mm -hmm. he did, and he turned mm -hmm. it over. And and this is the Jets. They're you know this is the Jets. Yeah. Well, they had six sacks. Well, okay, great. They had six sacks, but you know you could say, well, they got a bad rough of the pass. That wasn't a bad rough of the pass. Recall the guy launched himself on the yeah. pick six that Mac Jones threw. But to answer your question, I didn't think Mac Jones was very good at all. I thought that they were fortunate. They made a couple, a lot of third down throws they needed. You know, they were six for nineteen on third down. A lot of them came in the first half, but there was no really attempt to get the ball down the field. I think the pressure was bothering them. The offensive line for the Patriots didn't play very well, and they did enough to win the game. Meanwhile, the Jets' offensive line is their Achilles heel. Zach Wilson had to run around quite a bit, and without a running game, without a running game, without Br Bryce Hall, that th they can't really just keep him out of the game. Zach Wilson has to participate, and if he does, he's going to make mistakes. Like, he's got to play Buffalo this week. He's going to make oh. mistakes. Yeah, can you imagine? I mean, think about it. this. Is a think about this. The, the Jets go in. The Jets have a ten three. Belichick went for it on fourth down. I did not agree with it at all. I thought he should have kicked it to make it ten six. You know, which is surprising for him too. You know, and he mm -hmm. ran like a read option play that I that like, oh, this is going to be a good. But then it fell down. But then, of course, naturally, the Jets mess up the the middle eight, and they give the ball right back to the Patriots, and they end up going in at halftime ten six. Then they score to start the drive in the second half. And you know, and and that's it. So the Jets end up get the Jets get a mean. They get a touchdown. They get in the in the last quarter. They, they ran twenty two plays in the fourth quarter. They had one interception. They lost the ball on downs once, and they had one punt. And they and they had seven first downs, and they scored a touchdown. So, like, I, if I'm a Jet fan, I'm saying, wait a minute. They played the worst they could play. They didn't turn it over, but they didn't play very good. We we turned it over and still lost them. You mentioned the roughing the passer on John Franklin Myers, and I agree with you. It was just a stupid play. It was roughing the passer, whether it was this year or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. You can't hit the quarterback that late. That changed the game entirely because at that point, if he doesn't go ahead and run up on Mac Jones, it's 17-3, to and who knows what New England's offense is yep. able to do if they get down by two touchdowns in that game. Mac, I want to kind of hold off on the criticism of him. I'm not the biggest Mac Jones fan, but he's still working his way back from injury, and this was his first true start since the injury, but he didn't look good, and I thought it had that not been a rough in the passer, maybe we would have seen Bailey Zappi in the second half of that game. Yeah, I mean, it was a bad throw. I mean, the, 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 his one interception that he threw the ball got tipped at the line, which I don't think was his fault, but I never felt like there was a command of what he was doing. You know, he kind of fought his way through it, 
you know, Stevenson, I think, is a really legitimate back. Oh I mean, gosh, he made some good. great catches with, you know, in the backfield. He's a, he's truly now a weapon. I mean, he can do it both ways, running and passing, running and catch out of the backfield. So look, that look, there's a the one thing about the NFL when you win a game and play like crap. It's it's just the best feeling of all because you got your players. They know they didn't play well and they still won. They're gonna have to play a hell of a lot better. Even though they have the Colts this week, they're gonna have to play a hell of a lot better to beat the Colts. Because the, and the Colts make too many mistakes too, but the Jets, to me, this is the problem with the Jets. They're not elite on defense as much as people want to make them to be elite. They're not that there, right? They're not mm-hmm. elite, and there's no margin for error. With their, they can't make mistakes. Like they have the game's got to be under twenty. It's got to be a back and forth game, and they're never going to have to be able. To, they can't. They're not going to be able to get explosive. I mean, I know they scored twenty four on Pittsburgh, but they made a couple plays. But if he turns this ball over, it's over with. The Jets aren't good enough to overcome. No team is. Can Zach Wilson be fixed? I mean, I think Zach Wilson, to me, I'm not sure how mature he is. I think there's moments where he looks like, okay, he's got it. There's some really horrible throws. I mean, the interception over to the sideline uh, in front of the Patriot bench, he's trying to throw the ball away. He throws it in bounds. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing? I mean, he throws it, he overthrows, and McCourty, McCourty made had two interceptions. I don't think he really had to make a play on the interception. They got go about thrown right to him, you know. So I, I mean, I think it's hard. I think look, like a lot of guys, he needs a running game to really bat. And the offensive line, Dwayne Brown wasn't very good. The Patriots, once it became all pass, the Patriots were putting pressure on him. He had to move off the spot. It became very challenging for him. So I, I mean. He's you've got to manage him. I mean, he, he, is he different than Daniel Jones? Yeah, but he's not really because he turns it over. He's got better skill set than Daniel Jones, but he makes way too many mistakes that are hard to overcome. I thought that if Zach Wilson just gave them NFL caliber play at quarterback yesterday, the Jets would have won that game by a touchdown. If he don't turn the ball over, they win. They, they I mean, yeah. Femi, they average six seven per play. Yeah, I mean, they average six seven per play. But he turned it over. I mean, you know, I mean, look, here's the thing about the game. And every week I go through it. They averaged, they had 58 plays. They averaged 0.293 per per play. Okay. Points per play. Mm -hmm. The Patriots had 75 plays and averaged 0.29 per play. So they matched them on points per play. Just that they, they gave it away too much. I mean, when you score six points. And and that's the difference in the game, right? Yep. You scored it's twenty two seventeen. They gave them six points, and the Patriots did not have to get a first down to get those six points. They just kicked it. it he looked like an XFL CFL caliber quarterback. And no offense to those leagues or anything, but he didn't look like an NFL caliber quarterback yesterday. Maybe he can turn things around, but I thought he was dreadful and looked like the worst quarterback. And they missed Corey Davis. I mean, they didn't really have any. I mean, the one play he did make in the game, they had a couple explosive plays. They had. They had a they had a a, a a a they had a big pass for sixty three yards that was a blown coverage. Then he had another fifty four yard pass play in there. But for the most part, you know that was a bro- they broke tackles. That was at the end of, in the fourth quarter. But for the most part, you know he, there was plays to be made. He made some horrible throws. And I I think to me I I worry about can Zach Wilson be mature enough to go from week to week handle success right? Mm-hmm. Can he handle success? And can he handle the volume of the season? 
I mean, it's like at the Navy SEALs program. They always tell you the best athlete, the best swimmer, the fastest runner. They're always the first to, they're always the first to have their helmet in the quad because it's, a, it's yurtle the turtle. It's like who can do this week after week after week, day after day. I, I think Zach Wilson's going to spike, and then he doesn't have enough maturity to last the whole time. Can he get it? We'll see. After the game, Jets wide receiver Elijah Moore, who requested a trade earlier last week, was asked about his chemistry with Zach Wilson or lack thereof. He said, quote, I don't get the ball. I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, and it's <laughs> funny, too, because I've asked people in the league about Elijah Moore. I said, is this kid like a, a selfish guy? And, and everybody tells me no. They said, like, this is so strange that his behavior. I mean, the guy had one target in the game. He had one target. I mean, you know, and so, look, they had 14 incompletions in the game. I mean, Zach Wilson had 21, 21 incompletions in the game. You know, they, they had 20 completions and 15 rushes to go along with, to go along with 21 incompletions. I mean, Zach, Zach, I mean, Mac Jones had 58 rushes and completions, right? Mm -hmm. That's what they had together. And he only had, he only had 11 incompletions. So even though they didn't really move the ball and make a lot of yards, that they were able to execute at a higher level. The Jets just, I mean, Wilson just throws too many. And I, I don't know what the deal is with Moore. I really don't. You know, like they, they made a the tight end, Conklin, was, was the main target of the game. He had mm -hmm. 10 looks. Well, let's get to another class of 2021 quarterback here. Uh, Justin Fields, my guy here on the pod, mm -hmm. and his Chicago Bears went to Dallas, my team. And, and they went and lost. They took you, it on the chin. You handled the coin toss. <laughs> I, I, I didn't quite get out there. Did you see my man with the Dak and Fields jersey, the combo? <laughs> yeah, I, lo I, <laughs> I love was it. Like, I was like, where did he get that? And can I purchase one, please? Uh, Dallas goes ahead and cruises past Chicago, 49-29. Dallas was never really threatened in this game. Big game for Tony Pollard. I know a lot of folks want him to be running back number one. Uh, I thought he made himself a lot of money since he's going to be a free agent this March. Pollard going for 131, but let's stick to the class of 2021 here because Justin Fields, I thought it was, he had some moments where he struggled, but then he had some moments where he showed brilliance, kind of the Justin Fields story in my opinion. What did you make of Fields yesterday against the Dallas defense? Well, I mean, I think he had his best week. He had 17 completions, Femi. I mean, he had 17 oh, completions, you know? <laughs> and, and I mean, you know, that, that was good for him. I mean, he got sacked four times. He protected the ball, you know, and so, you know, I mean, look, this is what you're going to get with it, it's never go it's got to be a six back offense. He carried the ball eight times for 60 yards. I mean, look, this team had this team ran for 240 yards. They have one way to win, right? That's all. They have one way to win and they have to run the ball. They can't expose him in the passing game or expose their offensive line. So, in the way that they played, I think this is probably the best that you could expect from Fields. But like that week last week against New England, New England's not built for the six-back offense. Dallas is. Dallas is. Now, you know, the problem is Dallas has got to be able to shore up that run game a little bit. Yeah. You can't, you know, Philly's going to, if Philly carries it 43 times for 240, they're probably going to lose that game. But Dallas was good running the football too. So I, I thought Dallas's offense kind of came back. Dalton Schultz being back helps them a ton, you know, and I do think they need Zeke. I agree. I think Pollard, you know, Pollard only had 14. The guy's, Really, when I finished the book, when I was writing Gail Sayers up and watching Gail Sayers tape, I mean, I, I thought I was Tony Pollard and Gail Sayers. Everybody thinks Gail Sayers is like was Barry Sims with Change of Direction. He was like a a slasher, a, a burst of great acceleration, right? Mm -hmm. Get on an edge and outrun you. 
he wasn't like drop you in the, you know, he wasn't the Allen Iverson just move you off the line. Pollard's like that too. And and when Pollard gets a C, man, it's oh. over. I mean, <laughs> he is at full speed in his pads. He is really dynamic. And and look, he he only had one target in the game in the passing game. I mean, if, when they start to get him more involved in the passing game, he can be dynamic. Yeah, he was really, really fantastic yesterday. 14 carries, 131, three touchdowns. I know everybody wants to make it into this, like, Zeke versus Pollard thing. I'm like, this is not a so-and-so versus so-and-so. This is they have two running back ones, so just go ahead and utilize those running backs in addition to the pass catchers that they do have there. It's the same thing with Green Bay. That's the strength of their team. Why not use them? I mean, you know, and and one guy's a body puncher. A.J. Dillon's the body puncher. Aaron Jones is the playmaker. So you just kind of keep going. I mean, look, the Cowboys were 81% on third down yesterday against the Bears. 81%. (laughs) I it's mean, crazy. you know, and so and 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 still Dak threw a pre- interception, but they were able to to you know they once they got the, I mean the I I think the they had, what they had they had nine drives in the game, I, and they scored the first four times they had the football. That that's not how Justin Fields can play. He can't play like he's got to play from in front like he did against New England. The Cowboys were humming along seven point eight yards per play. I thought it was interesting, though, Michael, because after the game, Jerry Jones, on making a move at the deadline, he said this. He said, when if I have a chance to do something that would be interpreted but real meat on the bone of going for it, then I would do that. I feel that good about our chances here. I would do that, yes, and I'd give up some future currency to go for it. The deadline is tomorrow, 1 o'clock West Coast time, 4 o'clock on the East Coast. What do you think Dallas needs if they were to make a move at the deadline? Well, I mean, everybody needs other offensive linemen, right? So when you look at their team and you break their team down, you know, could they use a legitimate number one receiver? Probably. I mean, CeeDee mm-hmm. Lamb's really good. Is Could he be the number one? Yeah, I would say that. You know, I mean, Dalton Schultz is still on the franchise tag at tight end. I mean, to me, if they got another defensive lineman, say they got Bradley Chubb, and oh. now you got, you know, now you oh. add him to the mix, right? Let's go. Yeah, <laughs> now you see, to me, that's what I would do. Strength on strength. Mm-hmm. Like if I had a chance to get Bradley Chubb and knowing that I could fit him into my cap in future years, not just pay for him for one year to go along with Makai Parsons, to go along with the Lawrence, the, the Lawrence, Marcus Lawrence. Yep. Yeah. And that front that they have now I'm building more strength on strength. That's a move that I think you have to make to me. That's it. It's like in baseball, if you have four, three great pitchers and you can go get another pitcher, go get them. If they are able to add Bradley Chubb to this pass rush, and Chubb is not as good as Lawrence or Parsons, in my opinion, but he's still a good player. Man, that could give them even just another body to get after the quarterback and what is the strength of their team. Speaking of Bradley Chubb, though, Michael, Bradley Chubb's current team, the Denver Broncos, they went ahead and saved their season, may have saved their head coach's job yesterday overseas in London, being the Jacksonville Jaguars 21-17. to My man Russ was cooking up beans on toast in the he second half. Cooking. <laughs> <laughs> set, I mean, you you got to give him credit for the game-winning touchdown drive, though. He had three drives in the game. He had th- Basically, they had three drives in the game. They scored 21 points on those three guys. The other drives, seven punts, two turnovers. So, basically, that's what they were able to do. I mean, you know, they're two for 11 on third down. I mean, if they're playing anybody but Jacksonville, they're going to lose. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to lose. I mean, Jacksonville just finds ways to lose games. I mean, they just find ways to lose games. Bad clock management at the end of the half. I mean, I'm doing the game on the Lombardi line, and I'm like, you got to run it here. Of course, he throws it incomplete, gives them another timeout. You know, like, 
everything is everything is and then in the red zone you know i hate fades in the red zone i just despise fades in the red zone in fact my son matthew i called them last night they ran two fades in the red zone i'm like maddie we can't i mean you know like i'm giving him crap about it you know and he's like shut up dad you know it's like so i hate fades in the red zone i can't stand it you know and then he runs sprint right option and a kid throws another red zone interception like when you watch jacksonville they have no middle of the field passing game they run angle routes out of the backfield they run at, they run some h options but for the most part they have nothing inside the field Everything's outside. Everything's a hard throw. Like, I don't understand it. You know, and the quarterback, I don't think he's gotten better since Dougie's been there. Are you growing concerned? Because I'm a guy that believes in Trevor Lawrence. I know you believe in Trevor Lawrence. But oh, yeah. yes, yesterday was rough, and this past kind of month has been rough for Lawrence in terms of his decision-making and accuracy. Are you growing concerned with Lawrence? Sure I am. Oh, hell okay. yeah. I mean, look, the, I mean, he gets the ball back. He's down 21-17. He's got plenty of time. And he throws the first play, throws a pick, throws the ball yeah. behind the receiver on an outside route, you know? And so, like, they run 18 plays in the fourth quarter. He gets, they have two punts, six first downs, and that interception with a chance to, with a chance to at least try to win the game, you know? I mean, it, it, look, I think they need more receivers. And, I, I mean, ATN's fabulous. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even think they run ATN enough. I mean, I don't think they run him enough. Every time I turn around, you know, they don't manage the quarterback. Every time I turn around, I say to myself, you know, why does he have him throwing it that much? I mean, he had 31 attempts for 133 yards last night. Now, I mean, ATN had the ball 24 times, so I'd give him that, right? But with your two best receivers, Evan Ingram and, and Christian Kirk are your two best receivers. You need more. I, I think that's what Jacksonville needs a receiver badly. Yeah, they, they definitely do. ATN, 24 carries, 156 yards, and a touchdown yesterday. For me with Lawrence, though, it just seems like the lack of situational awareness. And he's played way too many football games to have such a a, a, a misunderstanding of what he needs yeah. to do on the given play, especially in the red zone. We saw it against the Houston Texans in that loss to them, throwing a red zone interception where he could have ran for the first down or just thrown the ball away. Yesterday, he throws the red zone interception to Justin Simmons in the, in the goal line there. I, I, I don't know why he continues to kind of make the same mistakes over and over and over again. Yeah, why you keep calling, you know, I mean, you can't blame it on Dougie, but I mean, the fact is he's cost them two games. I mean, they could be four and four, you know, yeah. I mean, they could be four and four. Look, this team, this team is not good enough on deep. They don't create turnovers on deep. They created one turnover on a bad Russell Wilson interception. But over this, over this five game losing streak that they're on, that they've turned the ball over, you know, they turned the ball over 11 times, 11 times. Like they're not protecting the football and he's the culprit. And Two of the games, Denver, Houston, he throws it in the red zone. I mean, to me, he's sloppy with his technique. They haven't Mm -hmm. found, like, they got to figure out, like LaFleur has to figure out, they got to figure out what is the offense for this guy. I don't think they've uncovered it. I think he's talented. He doesn't play talented. I think that's the fact. I saw a tweet yesterday, and I think it perfectly sums up Trevor Lawrence. He makes the hard things look easy, and he makes the easy things look hard. And that's no not that's not where you want to be if you're a quarterback. Real quick though, Michael, before we go to break, which of these second year quarterbacks do you feel the best about? Well, that's a hard one. I don't feel good about any of them right now. <laughs> I mean, I think Mac Jones. I felt really good about him last year. I th- throw Trey Lance in this conversation too. Yeah, he's but hurt to me, <laughs> yeah. you know. And and Davis Mills. We didn't even talk about him. We will later. But mm-hmm. he's taken a step. All of them have taken a mother may I step backwards. It's it's not good. For the class of 2021, five first-round quarterbacks, and it's hard to feel good about any of them. 
I still hold out hope for Fields and Lawrence, but they didn't play well yesterday. You can well hold out yesterday. hope for Fields all you want. You can <laughs> get man. that jersey, too. You can <laughs> yeah, hold out all the that. hope. I mean, the guy's not a natural thrower. At some point, you got to be a natural thrower. Like at some point you got it. Like to me, Mac Jones is not is not a great thrower, but he's a natural thrower. His arm's not strong. Like Justin Fields is now. He's gonna have to run the sick. There's only one offense Justin Fields can run, only one, and he's got to be the ball carrier. I reserve the right to hold my full evaluation to the end of the season, Michael. <laughs> Let's take Reserve that. it. <laughs> I got a table for two for you. <laughs> yeah. Let's take that quick break, Michael. We'll get to the rest of the game from Sunday on the other side. All right, Michael. Yesterday we saw a crazy game in the witching hour in the NFC South between the Falcons and the Panthers. Atlanta moves into first place in the division, getting a 37-34 win. But, man, the last sequence of the fourth quarter in overtime were just out of control with P.J. Walker making the throw to D.J. Moore. Moore gets the penalty, backs up the extra point, which they miss, go to OT, and then it just gets off the rails. But the Falcons get the win in OT, man. But what did you make of how that game kind of ended there with all the mistakes that we saw from Carolina? Well, I mean, Carolina's mistakes were really, I mean, you know, D.J. Moore takes his helmet off. That's a killer. Panera should make the extra, should make it. Okay, 48-yarder, he misses. Then he misses. Then they get the turnover. C.J. Henderson picks the ball off in overtime and takes it all the way down to the Falcon 20, and then the kid misses an extra point again. So, you know, it's like, what are you going to do? If Carolina scores 34 points, if their defense is good enough, they should win the game. Mm-hmm. You know, they should. And, and I think, to me, watching the tape, and obviously I have a vested interest in the game because of my son, but it, this, is the, this is two weeks in a row they've gotten good quarterback play. I mean, they, the one bad play P.J. made was he throws an interception for a touchdown off a screen, and the screen is going to go for a, a mile if he just gets the ball to him. The left tackle didn't cut the, couldn't cut the end, and, and the guy jumps up and catches it and runs it in for the touchdown. I mean, and that's ultimately what got him. You know, they turned the ball over there. They missed, it, they missed, the, they missed the extra point, then they missed the field goal. You know, and, and, and they did it. And Atlanta just kind of stayed in their game. And then Carolina got tired. Atlanta never punted in the second half. That was another problem. I mean, Carolina's got a lead. Carolina's up 28-24 with 3.04 to go in the game. And by 2.04 to go, they're up to 31-28. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and so it, it just was one of those where you just, okay. And then they got another field goal because Carolina turned the ball over on downs. And then P.J. makes this incredible flow to D.J. Moore. I mean, D.J. Moore also, uh, before they kicked that field goal, D.J. Moore in a fourth and 18, the ball got tipped slightly, but P.J. threw a ball in there that was incredible. I mean, mm-hmm. look, they finally got, the last two weeks, they finally have gotten offensive production from the quarterback. If they would have had this at the beginning of the year, Matt Rule still be the coach. It goes back to this whole conversation about Geno Smith. You know, they all loved P.J., They all of them, including Matt, they all loved P.J. Walker. But I don't think they loved enough to really go on the limb and say, we're just going to do it. And partly because the owner was telling them, if you guys don't win early, we're going to get fired. So you see the combustion that's going on here, right? So yeah. the owner wanted to win right away. And even though P.J. might have looked like the best player at camp, can you really trust your future with P.J., right? But now when you look at it, you say, of all the quarterbacks we've seen in the last since Matt Rule's been there, Teddy was good at the beginning, but Walker's probably played the two best games of any of them, right? Yeah. He's, he's looked the best since Cam Newton was the quarterback of the Carolina Panthers. I mean, the throw that he made to DJ Moore 
We saw Patrick Mahomes tweet about it. He said, this is the best throw I've seen of any quarterback all season long. To roll to your left and to make that throw on an absolute dime with the game being on the line was just fantastic. It's a shame that we're not talking about that being a game-winning touchdown, but the Falcons, they go ahead and get the win 37-34, like I mentioned, at 4-4 and in first place in the NFC South. Can't not make that up. Uh, I know your guy, Tua, Michael, yesterday. Boy, Tua Tungavailoa, man. 29 of 36, 382, three touchdowns. Tyreek Hill, 12 catches for 188 as they beat the Detroit Lions 31 to 27. They didn't punt until the second half of this game here as Detroit's defense once again kind of gets lit on fire by another offense. Eight for 12 on third down. I mean, they averaged 7.4 yards per play. Detroit averaged 6.9. Detroit didn't score. In the, the problem with this game is Detroit didn't score in the second half. I mean, Detroit, again, another second-half meltdown. Dan Campbell, 15 plays, four first downs, no points. They lost the game in the second half. I mean, they can't stop anybody, but when they stopped scoring, all of a sudden it fell apart. It just fell apart for them. And so give Tua credit. He made all the throws. I mean, this Detroit team, I, I mean, they can give they can give everybody all the accolades. we got all these ex-players on the staff, and Dan Campbell's really good. You know, they're on the road to nowhere. They're on the road to nowhere. I mean, they, they have shown no improvement at all during the season. They can't finish games in the fourth quarter. You know, and you and I both know if Goff starts to get hit, it's a problem. It's I mean, you know, and, and they did nothing to take away the – they got to take away the best player of the team. I mean, this is the best game that Miami's played offensively all year other than the fourth quarter. I mean, Miami wasn't scoring at all. And all of a sudden, you're playing at home and you're giving up this many points and this many yards per play. It's not a complicated thing, but they just couldn't do it. I mean, they gave up all these explosive plays, 311 yards in the air. I mean, I, I, you know, you guys can go down that road with 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 Dan and and all that. They could see, but when you wreck it, I mean, when you see the team not improving, when you see no improvement, when you see the consistent things that happen, time year all over and over and over again, you know, it's just it's going to be a problem. It's never going to change. Dan Campbell, to me, looks like he's great guy, bad coach. And I think it's the category that we're going to put him in. I, I just think he's not a head likeable. coach. It's yeah. you know, there's a being a head coach is part of being a strategist too, right? Mm-hmm. It's but, but one of my complaints about Lafleur. You know, Lafleur's a play caller. He's not a head coach, so he never yeah. really. And so he kind of stumbles into the strategy of what he should have been doing in week eight. Maybe I should run the ball only because he's a play caller, not because he sat back and took a look out of it and said, okay. Here's how I got to play the game. Here's how I got to fix my team, you know, to win this game. That's that's a strategist, right? You yep. got to be able to do that. And so Detroit's one of the worst third down teams in football. They're one of the worst red zone teams in football. Okay, I know you're not good on defense, Detroit. I know that. But in a bye week, we got to strengthen our red zone and we got to strengthen our third down. If we just work on those two areas scheme-wise and talent-wise and all those things, we can improve our team just incrementally. But we're bad. And then we're so bad on third down. We're 23rd on third down offense. If we could hold the ball longer, we'd be better. But there's no strategy involved. There's nobody, you know, there's nobody walking into Dan Campbell saying, hey, Dan, here's the reality of where we are, right? I mean, Rod Wood, the president's not going to do that. He comes from, see, these guys that come from the business world, they want to be in football. They don't really, they can't solve a problem. They can't solve a problem, Right. And the general manager there, he was a college scout at the Rams. He doesn't know pro football or the strategy or to see the game from 30,000 feet. His job is to find talent. Well, the, the head coach is – who's the strategist in the building? Chris Spielman? Because he's tough? 
Like, seriously, because he's fucking tough. He's the strategist. <laughs> like, at some point, somebody's got to sit there and say, they want to be so corporate in Detroit. Oh, we're corporate. We're corporate. We're Ford Motor Company. Well, yeah, you, you, if you're Ford Motor Company, you're putting out a lot of cars that can't fucking sell. Like, you, you know, you're putting out cars. That, like, at some point, who's determining the future? You got nobody in the building that has any strategy known to mankind. I mean, they hired John Dorsey. I think John Dorsey is a hell of a scout. I think John Dorsey, if mm. you gave John Dorsey eight tapes, he'll put the he'll put the players in the right order. I don't doubt it, okay? But in terms of seeing the game from 35,000 feet and saying, okay, this is what we got to do. This is how we have to build our team. This is how we have to, because we play here. Blah, blah. It's all about toughness. It's all about, uh, oh, it's all about toughness, and it's all about, well, we've got a lot of ex-players on the staff that know football. <laughs> okay, great. I get you. I get that. You played the game. I respect it. But that doesn't mean you know the game. You just played it. You know it. I get it. It's just to me, it's comical. It's 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 almost a joke. And the city is so great. You know, writing this book, I, I've spent a lot of time on Detroit because of Buddy Parker and all the things mm-hmm. there. I feel bad for Lion fans because they've had a historic franchise, but they're so poorly run. They're so poorly run organizationally that they're so far out of the race. They have no clue what they're doing. And so if they come back and, you know, they'll win a game here, win a game. But this has been going on for 30 years. They've always had somebody running the team that knows nothing about football. Chuck Schmidt, you know, they always get these guys that don't know. They're all, they're all, they're all accountants. It's like somebody who runs Disney that doesn't know anything about fucking how to, how to, how to enhance the product. They know how to make money, but they don't know how to enhance the product. It, it makes no sense. Lions now one in six after winning three games last year. So the Dan Campbell tenure is not off to a great start here. And I'm sure they're thinking about this as a five year plan. I don't think they're going to get five years based on the results that so we're six seeing. years. He get, Rob Wood gave him six years. You know yeah, why? Six, yes. Cause he wants six years. He wants six years. He's so he can go tell the owner of the team. Look, we, we knew this was going to be tough. This is why. Well, I don't, you know, like if Lewis and Clark were out for a walk and they're lost, and they're instead of headed to fucking Oregon, they're headed to goddamn Maine. I don't give a shit if they got six years to get there or fucking two. They're not getting there. <laughs> Let's keep it moving, Michael, with the Vikings and the Cardinals. Minnesota, and we talked about this game on Thursday, about, hey, how both of us were like, <sighs> I think from a number standpoint, I like the Vikings, but I just can't get there. I actually got there, Michael. Yesterday you, morning, yesterday morning, I saw the Cardinals inactive, and I'm like, oh, they're missing three starting offensive linemen. I got to bet Minnesota in this game, so I laid three and a half. They win the game, thirty four to twenty six. At times, I thought I was going to lose the game outright. I thought they weren't going to cover, but they win by eight, and it's another victory for the six and one Vikings, who now have a three and a half game lead in the North. So when my numbers came out, I had this as a six point game, Minnesota, yep. and I thought for sure. I was wrong on my numbers. And like an idiot, I go do Chris Russo and take Arizona. Why? I don't know. I'm just an idiot. Like, I, I, I didn't think clearly enough. I wasn't, I, as much as I make fun of Dan, I, was, I turned into a non-strategist at that point. And so <laughs> I kicked myself all day long for that pick. All day long. Because I had it. I had it. I should have been yep. all over it. And, you know, and you talk about, but, but I would have been probably mad at myself because Arizona in the fourth quarter. Think about this, Femi. 29 mm-hmm. plays in the fourth quarter. They got nine first downs. They turned the ball over three times. I Oof. mean, if all, they, they should have been able to at least cover this number. But the mayor is a disaster. He doesn't. He makes no plays, and he could care less. And he's got his, There's something fundamentally wrong about the Arizona Cardinals, and it shows up in these close games in the fourth quarters. 
They had only had three punts all days. They had two interceptions, you know, and all in the second half. When they got to make a play, they can't make one. And Minnesota did a great job of keeping him in the pocket. Seattle will do mm-hmm. the same thing. I, I thought the one bright spot there for Arizona was, damn, man, Hopkins is right back to where he left off. He is phenomenal as a wide receiver. 12 catches, 159, and a touchdown. But the Vikings, 6-1. and one, I know what the record says, but something that's still a little off with that team. Well, they, I mean, look, look, they, they average 5-6 a play, right? They only had three explosive plays all day. They got away from the run. Dalvin Cook was the guy, but they got away from it. You know, and they were able to come in there. They had, you know, again, this is like they had 13 drives, five punts, three turnovers, a missed field goal. They lost the ball on downs, and they fumbled. And yet they still find a way to win. I mean, Minnesota was telling them, take it, Arizona, have it. And Arizona (laughs) wouldn't take it. The Vikings were begging the Cardinals to win that game in the second half. It was classic Kirk Cousins, just blow the lead late, and the Cardinals didn't want to do it. And, hey, made a little bit of money off of it, so I appreciate the Cardinals saying, no, thank you. We'll try to get the next one. Uh, The next one on our list here, Michael, Commanders and the Colts. They rally past Indianapolis 17-16. to Colts lose in Sam Ellinger's first start. But what did you make of the second-year quarterback there? Had a little bit of mobility for this Colts offense. Yeah, I mean, he moved around. I mean, you know, look, this is a 16-10 to 10 game in the fourth quarter, and, you know, Washington made the plays they had to make. They had 22 plays. They scored 10 points in the fourth quarter, you know, and, and they still threw an interception in the fourth quarter. The, the, the game came down to a third-down call that Frank Wright, they ran it. They got, they got seven and a quarter yards. They needed eight. And a, eight mm-hmm. They needed seven and a half yards. They just missed it, and then they punted, and they couldn't, they couldn't get – they couldn't get Heineke on the ground. They, they were pressured him. They couldn't get him on the ground, and McLaurin makes the great catch. Look, I, I mean, to me, it's, it's hard for me to understand how Washington won. They were 2-for-12 on third down, mm-hmm. you know, but they, were, they fought their way back, and this Colt team just isn't explosive enough to really to do anything. And Ellinger kind of just had, you know, had a couple good plays, but at the end of the day, he just couldn't really – you know, they had five explosive plays. Two of them were runs, so – it's hard. I, I mean, you lose that game and you're the Colts, it's tough on you. But the Colts' problems are they can't control the line of scrimmage. And then when they got to get pressure on the quarterback and get them on the ground, all they needed was one sack and they're going to win the game and they couldn't do it. I tweeted about it and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. But what did you make of the Colts' decision to not go for two to try to go up 10 in the fourth quarter? I think Frank Wright's been, been down this road before. I think he's like, you know, he's, he didn't go for it on fourth down in the game. I mean, he's kind of shied away from the analytics lately. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think he's shied away from it, and I think he wanted to collect points. I think he felt like, you know, I'm definitely going to be able to score. You know, he scores 10 points in the fourth quarter. He had five first downs, you know, but when they had to punt that ball back, you know, they couldn't close the game out. You know, you're 16 to 10 at home, you know, the guy, they got to play on a long field and you give it up and you got – and their offensive line isn't any good. I mean, they, the Colts averaged six yards per play. The, 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 tight, the, the Commodores were 5-9. I mean, it's just, to me, it's just hard. You know, just, they can't, the Colts can't make a play when they need to make one. Sam Ellinger wasn't the only NFC or AFC South quarterback who made his first start. Malik Willis made his first NFL start as well. Titans go ahead and beat the Texans 17-10, to but this was just a reminder that Derrick Henry is still a pretty damn good running back, folks. It's also a reminder Mike Vrabel's really good. I mean, Mike Vrabel, basically, what he should have done is just sent the Houston Texans their playbook and said, guys, here's what we're going to run this week. See if you can stop it, right? 
Like, we got Malik Willis playing quarterback. He's not going to throw it more than – we're not going to call 10 passes in the game. He completed 6 of 10. They, th- they ran the ball 45 times in the game, and they turned it over twice. He threw an interception. They had a fumble. And they, and, excuse me, and they missed a field goal. And they missed a field goal. Like, this is really bad if you're the Houston Texans. You know coming in, this guy is going to run the ball on you. You know that. But I think where Tennessee's kind of got fallen under, I don't know what the line is this week against Kansas City, but Tennessee's defense is playing really good now. Mm-hmm. They're playing much better. They averaged, they held, ten, they held the Houston Texans to 3.2 yards per play. I mean, they, they, the Texans got that meaningless touchdown at the end of the game. It was really, they had 12 drives, eight punts. 12 drives, eight punts. Nine of those 12 drives, they got one first down or less. I mean, Tennessee dominated the game, and basically Vrabel just said, here. And I took, and I recommended Houston as one of my plays because I felt like, look, can they play, you know, this will be a low-scoring game. You're getting two and a half with Houston. You know, Houston should be able uh, – Willis is going to turn the ball over. He's going to make a mistake. You're playing at home. And they just walked in there and just said, bitch, slapped them to death. I mean, <laughs> Vrabel's so good. I mean, yeah. you, you talk about a strategist, just playing the game the right way. I mean, I can't say enough good things about the guy. The guy's incredible. He really is. He does everything that I believe you have to do because it doesn't matter to him how he plays, the, what the stats look like. It only matters to him that they win. Once again, people not paying attention to this Titans team, myself included. Then you look up, they're five and two. Uh, Mike Rabel is one of the best five coaches, in my opinion, in the NFL because he knows how to get his team to win games. Finally, here, Michael, the New Orleans Saints blank the Las Vegas Raiders twenty-four to nothing. Raiders three point three yards per play against this Saints team that defensively they've been struggling a little bit, but uh, they really flexed their muscles yesterday afternoon. What did you make of this game? I mean, this game was, you know, this game was going to be a hard game, I thought, for the Raiders from the beginning. I was disappointed they didn't really meet the challenge. I mean, New Orleans, you go in there, Kamara's healthy, you know, mm-hmm. and you've got to handle the, the, the Wildcat. You've got to handle uh, Taysom Hill. But I think what, what the most disappointing thing was the Raiders got punched in the mouth. They didn't punch back. You know, they couldn't get the ball to Devontae Adams. The first drive of the game, they couldn't move it. The second drive of the game, they, they're behind seven to nothing, or that, you know, they can't get going. And to me, it was just a, they can't make an explosive play with their offense once you take Devontae Adams away. I think Dennis Allen did a great job. I think he did a really good job. He understood what the Raiders were trying to do. And look, the Raiders are learning and need to learn how to match the intensity of their opponent. And New Orleans, for all the struggles that they've been through and for all the, they still have toughness. They've got tough guys in that locker room. And I thought they responded. I thought they, they, they literally took the Raiders out to the woodshed and beat them. Josh Jacobs, we've been raving about him. Only 10 carries for 43 yards. They just were never they're able behind to seven, They're behind 17 nothing. Yeah. They're behind 17 nothing, And they missed a field goal at the end of the half. Or else it's 20 to nothing. They could get no explosive plays at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they got, I mean, you know, there was a time where the Ra- I mean, Hunter Renfro hasn't played as well. Waller being out hurts them. No excuse. But Waller being out hurts them. But to me... I don't think they matched the physical challenge that the Saints brought to the table or the mental toughness challenge. I think those two areas, if you're a Raider coach, you've got to be most disappointed about your team. Yeah, now they will be staying in Florida and then facing the Jacksonville Jaguars where they're short road favorites in that game, that game being kind of a, all right, this is season on the line sort of situation for both of these teams there. Uh, Michael, let's take our final break on the other side. We'll get to the awards, then also a Monday Night Football preview. 
All right, Michael, before we get out of here, we got to hand out some hardware for week number eight. Who's going on the lamb this week? You know, fam, I, I, I had a lot of candidates, I think, for this one. Certainly, you could send, uh, uh, you could send the, uh, the Rams on the lamb. I thought you could send mm-hmm. the Raiders on the lamb. I, I mean, the Cardinals, to me, the way they played in the fourth quarter are, are, is lamb-deserving to me. I think that they are. I, I mean... There's so many candidates for the way they kind of was a meltdown in that game. The Rams, to me, they're, they're going to fit another category. So I, I would say, look, I'll go with the Cardinals because that was a game Minnesota was trying to win. It was trying to give them. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with the with, with the Cardinals. They're going on the lamb. The Fred Palermo best game plan of the week. Oh, I mean, I, you got to give it. We could give it every week to. We could give it every week to Vrabel. I mean, let's be honest. We could get it every week to Vrabel. But I, I thought he was outstanding. He, they, Lovey Smith knew what he was going to do. He knew it. They're going to come in here and try to run the ball. Now you stop it. To me, that's the mark of a great team. And I say great because a great team can run the ball against the team when the other team knows they're going to run it. And if you can't game plan to stop it, there's a problem. And they couldn't. So give Rabel credit. He's playing with a quarterback that, you know, should, he knows that kid shouldn't even been out there, but that's what he's got to play with. Got no receivers, right? He's got no receivers. So he says, okay, I'll run it 45 times. See if you can stop it. <laughs> Texans were not up to the task of stopping it. If you don't know, now you know. I think the Rams are not any good. I mean, I think we now know that, right? And the other thing mm-hmm. is, to me, I think – Pete Carroll's a good coach. If you don't know that, you better just live with it. I mean, I hear all these people in the betting community telling me Pete Carroll's a disaster. Like, Mm -hmm. he may not win your bet for you, but he's really a good coach, and he's going to go in the Hall of Fame. Like, he's going in the Hall of Fame. He belongs in the Hall of Fame. He's a really good coach. I don't give a shit. It wasn't – it was the right call in Super Bowl 49. I will not not back off that. The reality of it is he's played this defense, which was as bad as it could be. He's gotten them better over the last three weeks. If you don't know he's a good coach, you don't know anything about football. Well, the error that you made there, Michael, was listening to the betting community to get their evaluation on head coaches. I mean, I'm bitching at coaches, too, all the <laughs> yeah. time. But, you know, like, I, I, no, I lead the league in bitching at them. But to me, when I see a good one, I'm going to tell you, like, this guy's yeah. – his team gets better. And he's winning with Geno Smith. Yeah. I'm somebody who's in the betting community and also is in like the traditional football community. I kind of dabble in both. Uh, Pete Carroll, like you said, he might not win you your bet, but he's going to win the game and get the most out of his team. And that's what the betting community just can't gripe with because they only care about who wins them to their bets. And Pete Carroll sometimes doesn't do that. Finally, the David Ogilvy Award. Who's that going to? Uh, the Fraud Award. Uh, I-, I think, I think without a doubt, the Rams are frauds. I really do. You agree? I, I agree. I-, I-, I think. I think the Rams. Just, their offensive line is just so bad, and uh, we talked about it this offseason that, hey, the last four to five years, the Rams have been able to stay healthy. Well, the regression has hit them in a hard way this year. Now that their offensive line is banged up, they're just not going to be a team that's a contender or needs to be dealt with here in the second half of the season, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I just felt like, you know, I mean, I, I just think, to me, they're a fraud and the Cardinals are a fraud. I mean, the Cardinals, really, I mean, Ky- let's say Kyler Murray's a fraud. Like, he's not a good leader. He's not even a really good player. Like, let's just put that out. Like, to me, that's my problem. He's not a good leader, and when the when the game's on the line, he's not a good player. And if you rush him the way Minnesota rushes him, I think there's no doubt about that. The other thing I forgot to mention, and I, this is my fault, the team really, I, the team that should be on the lam, the Lions. I mean, that's my fault. The Lions. I mean, I, I went through all those other teams. The Lions, 
they, Dan, to me, if I'm Rod Wood and I want to keep my job, I, you know, you go talk to Chris Spielman all you want. He'll tell you how tough the team is. But I would hire somebody to be a strategist to help that team out because they have no clue about that. It's, uh, it's not looking good for the Detroit Lions there, Michael. But finally, we wrap up week eight tonight with the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns right now. Cincinnati, three-and-a-half-point favorites at our show sponsor, DraftKings, total sitting at 45. But this will be the first game the Bengals have without Jamar Chase. How do you think that impacts their offense, and who do you think ultimately wins the game? Well, I think you can play man-to-man against them now. I mean, you got to double Higgins, got to take your chances with Boyd, and you got to pressure the quarterback. You got to pressure the quarterback. You got to get after his ass. And you got to, I mean, to me, this is a game Cleveland's got to win. This is their season here. It's three and a half Monday night in Cleveland. You know, you can run the football on the Bengals. You've done it before in the past. You beat them last year, what, 41 17 in the game down uh, in Cincinnati. You beat mm-hmm. them again in a meaningless game last year. I mean, this to me is, we're going to find out. I, I'm a, I, I recommended it on my pick for, uh, for the Bill AD newsletter. I rec- I picked it in, in, uh, I picked it in, uh, uh, and Chris Russo. So for me, I could have a three in one week if they win, and I could have a two in one week of Russo. So I'm all in on the Brownies. I'm with you right there. I have Brownies plus three and a half already in the pending wagers. I think they at least, at worst case scenario, keep this game close, but I think they're live to win this game with the Bengals not having Jamar Chase there. Uh, well, Michael, that wraps it up this week here for the pod. Fun one, episode. Femi. Yeah, fun episode as always, man. There's a lot to yeah. react to. Thank you to DraftKings. Thank you to VSIN. Thank you to all of our listeners. And thank you, and Elliot. Viewers. Good and th- job, pinch yes. it, Elliot. Way to go, my man. You're welcome back anytime. It's our guy, Elliot. Back to back episodes on the pod. Thank you to Elliot Bowman for uh, producing this episode. And thank you to you, Michael. And I will talk to you on Thursday.